Good news, good news, good news. I feel like a paper boy. Uh, welcome to the Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're going to give away stuff. We're going to give you good news. It's all things that are happening in the world today. And, you know, this is the thing that we uh, hear from you as Bottom Line listeners every time you call in when we do a giveaway, 800-227-5278, which we'll be doing today again, uh, whenever you go to thebottomlineshow.com and give us feedback. We love hearing that feedback from you. But one of the things that we appreciate, I really appreciate especially, about uh, your feedback with us is the fact that uh, there's so many things happening in the world. And there we, got, we have 90 minutes every day, Monday through Friday, to cover that. Of those 90 minutes, you know, we want to not keep beating the same drum over and over again. And I know that in the media, there's an old expression, if it bleeds, it leads. In other words, if it's tragic, if it's terrible, if it's heartbreaking, if it makes people sad, then those are the stories they want to show you. And the reason they do it is because you have a heart of compassion and empathy and, and you want to, uh, you know, be a part of, you know, weeping with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. Plus our natural curiosity is, wow, it's happening to them. And, you know, I'm glad it's not happening to me. I mean, this is kind of the way we're wired, right? So on Good News Friday, uh, we especially go, I go out of my way to find the stories that will be uh, uplifting to you and a benefit to you, not just to bypass and pretend that the tragedies in the world aren't happening. Those are very real. But I, I just wanted to share a couple of stories here as we uh, move into this weekend, because I, I really think, quite frankly, these are, I mean, I, I kind of... Uh, it's, it may be naive in my sense, but I, I do believe we can learn from her and move forward. I do believe that we can be lights in a darkening world. It's a given. Everybody's going through some kind of nonsense in their lives right now. And how important is it for us as Christians to be bearers of the good news? We could be super depressed all the time about all the things that are happening. But Jesus says, look, you're going to have trouble in the world, but take heart because I've overcome the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But the world loves darkness more than the light. That's the uh, condensed version of John uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. So, when we bring good news stories to the surface, we're doing so, first of all, to be an encouragement to each other. But secondly, to kind of head off into the weekend saying, how can we motivate others and let them see the light of Christ living in us? As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good deeds. And when they see your good deeds, they will then glorify the one who gives you the ability to do those good deeds, your Father in heaven. So it's in that spirit that we announce some good news to kick off Good News Friday, and that is the good news that Chick-fil-A is the favorite restaurant of America once again. Now you're like, oh, well, I knew that. I mean, <laughs> maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But do you know how many years running Chick-fil-A has been the favorite restaurant of the year? And who's taking this poll? I mean, if I were to take a poll of Christians who listen to the Bottom Line Show in the 30 markets that we're on right now and ask what's your favorite restaurant, I would probably get mostly people who said Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out Burger, right? They have Christian values behind them. Now, I have talked 
often and with great passion on this program about how I appreciate In-N-Out Burger's commitment to the scripture passages they put on their packaging and displays, the values that they share consistently from one In-N-Out Burger restaurant to another. I've eaten in them in three different states now, and they just consistently blow it out of the... Knock it out of the park, blow it out of the water with how good their service is. Chick-fil-A, on the other hand, I really had to have a come-to-Jesus moment with. You'll recall that 10 years ago or so, Christian media was rallying around the uh, uh, the Kathy family because of the fact that Dan Kathy had made some comments in a newspaper article, he had interview he'd given about how they supported traditional marriage. Uh, all the guys on the board were still married to their first wives, you know, which is something I could take issue with, but I, you know, that's not the reason for my dealing with it was then viewed that chick-fil-a was you know based on founded on christian values and principles true kathy of course a great supporter of christian organizations uh trudy kathy white has been a regular guest the bottom line show i mean no quarrel with the family per se the problem i had was the fact that the chick-fil-a foundation which is a separate part of the chick-fil-a Chick-fil-A is a multi-billion dollar company, and the Chick-fil-A Foundation is a place where they have a couple million dollars every year that they donate to different charities. The Chick-fil-A Foundation had come under fire in the past because they would support things like uh, Family Life Today's uh, Weekend to Remember Marriage Conference or a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event or something like that. And so the company, founded on biblical principles, I think still a very Christian-owned company, but they had this foundation that apparently was kind of trying to work both sides of the angle. Like, for example, they used to give money to the Salvation Army. Salvation Army does a tremendous work, especially reaching out to uh, young people, and a lot of people who are runaways right now are in the LGBTQ community. Salvation Army does tremendous work in helping those kids, but because the Salvation Army was founded on Christian principles, Chick-fil-A's foundation shifted their donation away from Salvation Army to an organization that was completely rainbow LGBTQ+. And the saddest thing about that, my contention, was there is, or there was at one point, a home for transgender runaway youth, kids who might have started the transition, parents found out they had no place to go, they would take off, they'd go to Vegas, whatever. There was only one home in America like a transitional housing home for kids in that transgender category. Guess who ran it? Salvation Army. Guess who was supporting it? Chick-fil-A. And they pulled that support, and I didn't understand, and I still don't to this day. But I know a lot of Christians will support Chick-fil-A, you know, and, and like to eat at the restaurant, and I know it's a very popular one. So quite frankly, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Chick-fil-A has done a good job of trying to balance both sides of the equation in terms of if you ever went to a Chick-fil-A restaurant, you wouldn't see only straight Christians working there. I'll just let it go with that. And yet the food is good. The ownership is good. The management is good. And for the eighth consecutive year, the American Customer Satisfaction Index restaurant study has Chick-fil-A at the top of the heap. Chick-fil-A is number one with a score of 83 out of 100. Very consistent. America's favorite restaurant. Here's who they beat. They beat Jimmy John's. Isn't that a sandwich place? Jimmy John's had a 79. Domino's Pizza, 78. KFC, 78. Uh, Chipotle, 77. Panera Bread, 77. Pizza Hut, 77. Starbucks, 77. Among fast food restaurants... 
McDonald's has the lowest score, 68. Uh, Chick-fil-A's 83 was actually higher than full-service restaurants on the list. Uh, That was led by Longhorn Steakhouse and Texas Roadhouse. They had a tie at 80 apiece. Cracker Barrel, 78, and Friday's, which finished tied for third in the full-service category. So hats off to Chick-fil-A for for the eighth consecutive year topping the and it's a tight list it's not like chick-fil-a ran away with this i mean they got 83 and others said 80 and 82 and whatever but the american customer satisfaction index restaurant study uh ranked chick-fil-a now the eighth year in a row it's been the most popular restaurant and may i do a tip of the cap if i may to my longtime friend david peck uh, David and I met when he was working at uh, Pacific University in an executive capacity. Dr. David Peck uh, actually is a classmate of James Herson at, uh, with their studies for media psychology. They both have that background along with uh, David's wor- work in the corporate world for marketing and media and ministry. And James's work uh, with, he's an attorney as a JD. Uh, a new Chick-fil-A restaurant opened. This is right at the edge of our listening range for our KBRT listeners, KBRT AM 740. If you're cruising out Interstate 10 on your way to Phoenix, you can get into the Palm Springs, Palm Desert area, and you can still pick up the Bottom Line show very, very well. And the brand new Chick-fil-A, first of its kind in Palm Desert is now open, and my buddy, Dr. David Peck, is the franchisee, the guy who's running it there. So just big old smile, the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. I had no idea Dave had had connections to the Coachella Valley. He was reading about this in the uh, in the paper there. And that all four of his kids worked at Chick-fil-A while they were in high school and going through college and everything. So uh, it's a very, very special time. So for anyone who's heading out on Interstate 10 eastbound this weekend, you get off, I believe it's at Monterey, and on Dinosaur Drive, which is near Bob Hope Road and Gerald Ford Avenue and all the presidential things around there, too. And Dinosaur is in there in the middle, right across from the Sam's Club there. It's a brand new Chick-fil-A in Palm Desert, and David Peck runs it. And uh, I encourage you, if you are a person of faith who is driving that way and wants to get a great meal, go see my buddy Dr. David Peck at the Chick-fil-A there. Okay, let's continue now on this more good news. We'll t- take a quick break, and when we come back... Um, why is it that so many people, when they go through a season of hurt, have a hard time kind of figuring out what forgiveness is all about? They have conversation about forgiving. We know Jesus calls us to forgive, but it can be hard to know what that looks like, especially if the relationship is complicated or messy. There is good news, though, for finding and making sense of forgiveness. Pastor and counselor Brad Hambrick has written a book on this subject, and we'll talk about it coming up next as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. 
Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. It's so much easier to say forgive and forget than to somebody else than it is to actually put it in practice. But is that even biblical? Why is it that when it comes to forgiveness, so many of us have so many different opinions of it and what it actually means? We know Jesus calls us to forgive, but it can be hard to know exactly what that looks like, especially if you're in a complicated or messy relationship. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Dr. Uh, Brad Hambrick, who serves as the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, also assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of a brand new book that is really going to be a game changer for pastors, for anybody who's ever had a conflict and you couldn't figure out exactly how to properly forgive someone. The book is called Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brad Hambrick, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Something tells me that in your world of counseling, on the pastoral level and also uh, in your academic pursuits as well, this is one of those topics that people just kind of they want to kind of agree to disagree or maybe, you know, treat it with kid gloves. Nobody really wants to understand how proper forgiveness is. And my suspicion is it's because if there's forgiveness, that means there was a wrong, there was an offense, there was something that was kind of painful. Uh, talk about the, the genesis of getting to the heart of, you know, real biblical forgiveness and, and why so many people don't do it very well or just avoid it altogether. Well, I think if we're honest, forgiveness is hard. Uh, I mean, forgiveness uh, forgiveness never comes up at a good time. Uh, whenever forgiveness is relevant, uh, we've just been hurt. Uh, you know, usually we don't think about forgiving strangers. Uh, it's people who are close to us that we cared about. Uh, and so uh, whenever, whenever we need to forgive, we're a bit raw uh, because we've been hurt. Uh, Our relational environment uh, is disrupted because we've been hurt by someone who was meaningful to us. Uh, And so you put those things together, and I I don't think it's a surprise to any of us that, yeah, forgiveness, it is. It's hard. It may be beautiful. It may be central to the Christian message, uh, but that doesn't make it neat and easy. You know, as I think about forgiveness and the, and the pain that goes along with it, oftentimes I'm sure there are people who say, well, something happened here and I could never forgive myself or somebody else for what happened here. In your book, Making Sense of Forgiveness, you actually talk about a few things that forgiveness isn't, which is probably helpful before we get into the, the different dimensions of forgiveness. Help us understand uh, what, when we talk about forgiveness, why a lot of people have misunderstandings and it's probably just because they've got the wrong definition of what forgiveness really should be. Yeah, I think sometimes when we say, we think when we say, I forgive you, uh, what we think we're being asked to say is, everything's okay. Uh, I'm all better. Uh, You know, forgiveness doesn't mean that we're saying uh, that I'm no longer hurt or I'm no longer upset. Maybe one way to phrase that is when I say, I forgive you, uh, what I'm making a commitment to do Uh, is I'm going to express hurt as hurt uh, rather than hurt as anger. Hmm. Uh, And so I'm going to be willing to be more vulnerable and compassionate. And uh, if what it was that was offensive between us kind of aggravates a moment and that moment is more difficult, uh, I'm not going to pretend like the moment is more difficult. uh, But 
I'm going to talk about what is difficult in a way that expresses hurt as hurt uh, rather than hurt as anger. Or, you know, sometimes we think that forgiveness is, uh, you know, like forgiveness is forgetting. Uh, that, you know, that you've already mentioned it here, like forgive and forget is one of those uh, common idioms that we say all of the time. And for most of us, we think, well, uh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Give me the red pill, please, if I mm-hmm. could just uh, if I could just forget. Uh, but because these are usually meaningful people in our life and meaningful events, uh, it feels like the, how do I rip those chapters out of my life story and I can't take that event or those words outside of the context of other things that are meaningful that I don't want to forget. Mm. Um, And so, uh, you know, when we remove some of the things that are forgiveness is not, uh, I hope it frees us up to pursue some of the things that forgiveness is. Dr. Brad Hambrick, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and also the author of a brand new book called Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. There are things that we have to understand about forgiveness. You write about this in the book, the different dimensions of forgiveness. There's all, there are also things that we really don't need to forgive, and I, I realize we're laying a lot of ground rules before we get into those dimensions, but help us understand there are certain things that uh, I've heard people uh, you know, use the expression, I could never forgive that. And maybe there is an actual biblical case for things that we don't need to forgive. Dr. Hamburg, help us understand the things that we do need to forgive and the difference between those and the things that we don't. Yeah, and that's one where uh, we get excited. I mean, I write a book on forgiveness, and we kind of fall into the, uh, to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail trap. <laughs> right, uh, right. And, and so, like, ah, everything that gets on my nerves, I need to be able to forgive it. Uh, if it's annoying, if it's quirky, if it's bothersome, uh, then, uh, you know, we treat forgiveness as if it is the panacea for all things awkward. Um, but sometimes it, you know, it's just a matter of human weakness. It's not that somebody lied. Uh, it's that they forgot. Uh, or sometimes there's just differences in personality or perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's other times where, like, I may tell my wife, I'm going to try to prepare a wonderful dinner tonight, and I do authentically try, but uh, I burn it, and I tried to do something and failed. And, you know, each one of those are different kinds of awkward, difficult moments. Uh, they call for responses of grace. Uh, but forgiveness is for things that are morally wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's not morally wrong to be weak or have a weakness. It's not morally wrong uh, to have differences in personality or even attempt to do a good thing and just fall short of what you were attempting to do. Uh, and when we can recognize, like, how oh, there are other responses of grace that are actually um, create a good environment for the relationship to flourish, it allows us to only use forgiveness for what God intended forgiveness for. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for just a moment, because let's face it, at the heart of what we are discussing here, our faith in Christ, our relationship with the Lord, and with other people, people whom we love in the body of Christ and that we care for, and when there has been a wrong you know, executed, when people have been hurt, uh, forgiveness is often the, uh, the way to handle this. 
how many of us understand God and his love for us, his forgiveness of us, and that whole thing we keep talking about, well, God has, loves us unconditionally. It doesn't matter what I do. God always loves me. Help us understand what God's forgiveness means in terms of God's unconditional love, Dr. Brad Hambrick. Yeah, and that's one where I think we can often uh, treat God like this benevolent grandfather who has absolutely no standards whatsoever, and whatever <laughs> we do, uh, yeah. it's just going to be the cutest thing ever, and he's up in heaven chuckling at us, uh, and it doesn't matter how bad we sin or mess things up, we're, you know, like the kid playing in the brownie batter. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, you know, there's plenty of things that we do that are cute and God finds endearing, but when something needs forgiving, um, I think the better way to say that is not necessarily that God forgives us unconditionally, as if there are not conditions, but that he loves us contra-conditionally. God set out a law, and it was for our good, and uh, the law of God is what leads us to flourishing. And He wants us uh, to be in line with that, not because he's mad or upset with us, but, uh, you know, in the way that a good parent sets up kind of the rules of the house. And they they do that because that's what's going to help uh, the children flourish best in that family. Mm -hmm. And uh, when when we fail to live up to that standard, forgiveness doesn't mean the removal of the standard. Because that standard was for our good. It means loving us in spite of and drawing us back to uh, what that standard uh, is. Dr. Brad Hambrick, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, we're talking about forgiveness, and his brand-new book is called Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, let's talk about some ways that we can wisely extend forgiveness to others, and then maybe more importantly, embrace forgiveness from others. Sometimes the two are not mutually exclusive. More of my conversation with Dr. Brad Hambrick in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Real estate broker Brian Edgel here with a market update. First, the duplex in San Bernardino has sold for over asking price at $550,000. Also new on the market in South Corona is a beautiful 2,000 square foot, four bedroom, two bathroom, single story home with a beautifully remodeled kitchen and both bathrooms been remodeled as well. The backyard boasts a large spa with a waterfall and a grotto. There's also a built-in outdoor kitchen. Gorgeous home. This one is listed for $879,900. I am a real estate broker with a degree in law, and for the past 20 years, I've been successfully selling homes in your area for just 2.9% total commission, which includes commission for both the buyer and the seller. If you're thinking of selling, call me today, 800-969-3992. That's 800-969-3992. Or you can go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh on this Good News Friday. We are taking a look at forgiveness. We are taking a look at Christian values in the public square and uh, just rejoicing over the good news that forgiveness, which of course is the hallmark of our Christian faith, is at the centerpiece of all these good news stories that you hear here on the Bottom Line Story. It has an element of forgiveness, of someone realizing that their lives have been impacted by sin and there's forgiveness of sin that makes them whole in Christ, or sometimes it's people who have a, a grievance, a, a grudge of some sort uh, coming up at the top of the hour. 
um, 4 o'clock Pacific time, uh, 5 o'clock uh, Mountain for our KLDC listeners, um, you're going to hear a great story of forgiveness about a story that you already thought you knew all the forgiveness that had to be handed out in that story, but there's even more in the saga of Bart Millard and Mercy Me. Right now, we're taking a break in my conversation with pastor and author Dr. Brad Hambrick, and we're talking about the issue of forgiveness. His book is called Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope. 800-227-5278 is the number to call. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, we've got two copies of the book to give away, and I would love to put one in your hands. Teresa is standing by, taking your calls at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, if anybody is prepared, uh, trained, if you will, to handle this topic of forgiveness, especially from a biblical perspective, it would be Dr. Brad Hambrick, who has not only a uh, master's in theology, but also a doctorate in education, is the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and also an assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. This resource helps us see what forgiveness is in God's economy, but maybe more importantly, it helps us see what it is not. You know, a lot of people think of forgiveness. I, I have. I think you probably find that at some point in your existence here on earth, you've had this uh, definition as well. Forgiveness is kind of like the culmination of a journey. You know, you do a little work, somebody else does a little work, and then you both say, I forgive you. And in saying, I forgive you, then that's it. We hug, kumbaya, things are better now. But the reality is, when it comes to forgiveness, Basically, what one person is saying to the other is, I've decided to relate to your offense toward me differently. Well, that's interesting. But where do we get that example from? We can't deny that what happened happened. Sometimes the forgiveness is a question of mistaken identity. I thought I heard you say, or I thought that that was you who did this or something like that. And and those can be usually sorted out if someone really desires that to happen. But when you look at the essence of forgiveness, I forgive you is the phrase in essence that Jesus said on the cross. I'm forgiving you of your sins. And if you accept this forgiveness from me, what's going to happen is your sins will now be made whiter than snow. They're stricken from the record. And when God and I sit down with you to have judgment at the Bema seat, I'm not going to judge you based on the sins that you did. Those sins are all forgiven. They're going to be torn up and thrown into the fire, burned and gone forever. I'll be judging you on what you did for me as a new creation. Brad Hambrick's book, Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got two copies we're giving away right now here at halftime. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Part two of my conversation with pastor and author Dr. Brad Hambrick is next as The Bottom Line continues. Here at K-Bright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home. It was like two days before Christmas. And I was sitting at the bottom of a hill and somebody just came smashing into me. Like they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. 
she was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready, like to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Dr. Brad Hambrick is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Hambrick serves as the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, also assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And the brand new book we're talking about is called Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Before the break, Brad, we were talking about the idea that there are many people who can forgive others, and they do so with a lot of discernment and a lot of wisdom. Um, Other people are willing to receive forgiveness from other people, but then there's kind of a trust issue too. How do I really trust that? And then there are those who say, well, I can do one or the other, but not both. Talk about why I think it's important, and you think it's important, to, to be able to say, I can extend forgiveness using discernment, but I can also receive forgiveness knowing that that doesn't necessarily restore trust. It just kind of deals with the situation at hand. Yeah, and I think here, if we just, if we start with a basic metaphor for forgiveness, it can help us to unpack some things that get interwoven a little too much. Uh, and so maybe if a, if a basic definition that I think is intuitive for most of us for forgiveness is forgiveness is retiring a debt. Um, and just because I retire a debt uh, doesn't necessarily mean that I extend another loan uh, <laughs> or that I choose to go into business with you again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and so there, when uh, when we say, I forgive you, uh, we're saying, I'm not going to hold this against you. I am canceling that debt. Um, but the choices related to trust, uh, to seeing that relationship restored fully to what it was before, uh, I can forgive, and it's actually emotionally freeing and liberating and healthy for me to forgive, uh, even if there is not ownership and repentance on the part of the other person. Um, but uh, trust uh, is one of those things that, you know, I spend a chapter just looking at uh, how trust develops. And, you know, it's kind of a, uh, you know, counselors always kind of put things in steps and models and that kind of thing, but just kind of give like, ah, here's a 10-step sequence. And it's not that you start at step one and go to step 10, but you're just asking, like, how broken is this relationship? Where are we starting? And and what would it look like uh, to take that next wise step uh, in trusting someone? But for some of us, like your question alluded to there, uh, we're on the other side of the equation. Uh, like the, the struggle that we have uh, with forgiveness is not so much extending it. Uh, it's the shame that we feel uh, when we see the person that we hurt. Uh, and we live with this heavy weight of, I don't, I don't feel forgiven. 
and I think that's oftentimes uniquely hard um, when we are uh, when we are being forgiven by another person. You know, there's some things that it's just easier to do with God. Like when when God forgives me, I don't look in His face and see the pain. Uh, you know, we're not at church together and we make eye contact and I can't tell if they turn the other way because they're still upset. I mean, there's the physicalness of people, the the social interaction that we have um, can oftentimes make it hard. And so one of the things I try to do is just define enough of those kinds of moments that uh, if if somebody's wrestling to see a relationship restored and they're like, I, I think they've forgiven me and I'm trying to do what I can to show trust, uh, could we just look at some of this together, some of what's described and say, yeah, these are these are some of the hard moments for us. Uh, I want this book to be a tool uh, that helps uh, facilitate and restore uh, relationships in the way that forgiveness uniquely has the power to do. Dr. Brad Hambrick is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about his new book called Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Oftentimes, Brad, we hear people talking about the need to forgive, and you'll hear about a family where there was a wrong done to somebody, a perceived or real one, and the forgiveness doesn't come for years and years and years and it just kind of hangs around it almost becomes part of the family story you know it's like oh well these two don't get together on the holidays because there was a you know big problem and now there's a lack of forgiveness and yet one of the things that you write about in your brand new book is the idea that forgiveness is very liberating for us as individuals helps us understand the heart of god better but it also gets us closer to something that we like to call closure um is forgiveness the sole aim or one of the primary aims of, of getting, or it's closure, I should say, one of the primary aims of forgiving people, Dr. Brad Hambrick? Yeah, and closure, closure is one of those great words that if you ask 12 different counselors what closure means, you're going to get 13 different answers. <laughs> uh, because it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, we kind of all know what we think we mean, but it's kind of ambiguous. And, uh, you know, maybe one way to define what we're talking about there is uh, closure is when I can take this chapter of my story, not the book as a whole, but this chapter of my story, and I can let this chapter be finished in order to embrace the chapter of my life that is next. And I'm not pretending that the bad things didn't happen. Uh, when themes from this chapter show up somewhere else, I, I don't have to shut my eyes, uh, but... Uh, the next chapter can be written more on its own terms. And so uh, that sense that it's not completely forgetting or ignoring, but there really is a freedom to pursue uh, whatever it is that is next. Uh, I think when people see that, it's like, oh, okay, that that makes closure much more approachable and achievable. It seems uh, less like this idyllic idealistic thing that I would just never be able to get to. You know, it sounds like a wonderful destination. It really honestly does. And yet at the same time, there are many people who uh, they're, they're either not going to get it because they don't want to find it. Um, maybe there's an issue of, uh, I'd love for you to address, address this, Dr. Brad Hambrick, 
an issue when it comes to forgiveness of there's guilt involved. Somebody might have done, you know, committed a wrong or said something uh, towards somebody else. But then there are feelings of shame as well. Does forgiveness cover both? Does it cover one? And if so, which one does it cover? Well, uh, in one way, I think it covers both. In another way, I think it's helpful for us to distinguish the two. Uh, and so, uh, you know, forgiveness is primarily for guilt because the, um, you know, the, the problem of guilt is we're under a sentence of condemnation. We've done something wrong. We know that. We feel that sense of condemnation. Uh, and when, when we are forgiven, uh, then uh, what we're saying is that penalty that is no longer over you. Uh, oftentimes, shame uh, is not so much about feeling uh, guilty as it is feeling unacceptable, uh, mm. feeling marred. Uh, and, and so uh, acceptance, which is kind of on the, the backside of forgiveness, it's what is the possibility is opened up to by forgiveness, um, you know, that is, uh, that is when we feel embraced. Uh, it's when we can make eye contact without feeling like we need to look away, uh, not just uh, that we've been uh, declared uh, not guilty or a sentence has been removed uh, from over our head. It's amazing to think about what God's forgiveness has done for us, and oftentimes we don't uh, really take into consideration. We just know that we're forgiven and that's it. We don't really take into consideration you know, the fact that the love of God really does cover a multitude of sins. Dr. Brad Hambrick, take the final moments of our time together and bring this back to the foot of the cross. Help us understand that the forgiveness that we can share with others, that we can receive from others, that we can even share from ourselves, starts with Jesus forgiving us our sins on the cross and the love of God that says, I'm going to forgive you first even before you knew you needed forgiveness from me. Yeah, and I think that's a, a great place to kind of land the conversation here, because when we when we wrestle to forgive uh, and we feel the weight of what it would mean to look at somebody else uh, and say, I forgive you, how could I cancel that debt? Um, I think it does force us to remember that um, – that we have had a debt retired ourselves and that we forgive as we have been forgiven. And those uh, who have been forgiven much forgive much. Those who have been loved much uh, love others much. And so uh, when we come to that spot where we're wrestling with, can I do this? Is this fair? Uh, I think seeing the example of Christ not as a pressure point, of like, oh, great, because he forgave me, then I've got to do this but getting to a spot that we rest and delight in what has been done for us uh, so that we can begin to ask, how do we do that wisely with others? I think it moves this from a burden of something that we have to do uh, to a blessing of something that we, uh, we get to share with others. Uh, and the more we understand that, uh, hopefully a lot of the pressure uh, that it takes off of uh, the need to forgive. That's great. Counsel from Dr. Brad Hambrick today here on The Bottom Line. 
powerful new book that I highly recommend called Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope. We've got a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. And Brad Hambrick, thank you so much for the work you've put into the research here, the many years that you've spent in ministry, not only as a professor, but also as a pastor. And thank you for taking time to spend a uh, little discussion session with us here on Making Sense of Forgiveness. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, great conversation and a much-needed resource on these principles that are so important. Uh, Pastor and Counselor Brad Hambrick, today here on The Bottom Line, uh, having a conversation about making sense of forgiveness, moving from hurt toward hope. We have a link for Dr. Hambrick's book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of the book to give away here on this Good News Friday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. We've got one copy to give away, uh, but if you talk to Teresa really nicely. Oh, by the way, please remember, uh, one winner per household uh, per 30 days. Okay, so if you won something earlier in the week or last week, uh, thanks for thinking about calling, uh, but you're not eligible to win. That's just kind of our one of our station rules. But if you haven't won anything or if you've never called us before, we would love to hear from you. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls as we're giving away a copy of Pastor Brad Hambrick's book, Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. What a great book. What a great resource, especially when you think about how many people would be, I think, once you hear the good news of the gospel and you see what the essence of our relationship with Christ is, it's about forgiveness. I mean, it's about what God has done for us. The fact that he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin. And God says your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, but a lot of people in the body of Christ have a hard time with that. They think, okay, well, what? I, I've heard that expression forgive and forget before. Am I really supposed to do that? And, you know, the answer, of course, is, well, you are to forgive the sin, of course. And I believe that God forgets it in our economy. I've been watching a fascinating series, Lisa and I have, from Dr. Tony Evans about what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like. And the idea that each of us has to have that meeting with bystanders around us, where God basically pulls out the ledger and says, this is what you've done. And so we're going to separate the wheat from the tares, the chaff from the wheat, if you will, the good works that have been done in Jesus' name for the kingdom for the right reasons, and the sins that have been committed. The good news for us is that scripture tells us that when the sins are, in fact, pulled apart from the good works, they're bound and thrown in the fire. In other words, God's going to wipe away the penalty of that because of the blood of Jesus. Whereas those who have to have that accounting with the Lord who don't have that protection of faith are basically going to have to pay the penalty for that sin. But when we're, you know, the essence of our relationship in Christ is, well, <clears throat> when someone says, I forgive you, and then we kind of think, well, that makes everything better, right? But the reality is, it doesn't necessarily make it better per se, but it does get put us on the journey to understanding what honestly confronts hurt and clears away anything that would help uh, keep a, from a hope-filled discussion 
on how to move forward in healing from moving forward. Now, I've got a story here, another Good News Friday story. Um, 800-227-5278 for the book, by the way. Give us a call. Teresa's taking your calls right now. I've got a different kind of Good News Friday story for the rest of this half hour. And the reason is, I, you know, for the past couple of months, I've been really focusing on what we call walk the talk or walking the talk. That is a, a, just a polite way of saying there are those in the body of Christ who talk a great game about their faith. But then when they see the needs of the world all around, what is James chapter 2 says, if you see somebody who's hungry or, you know, uh, they, they need something to wear and you look at them and say, be warm and well fed and then keep on walking... Well, you're not really helping. You know, as Jace puts it, faith without deeds is dead. So walking the talk literally means you talk a great game about your faith. That's good. But can we see the fruit that's being born? And it was really, for me, a passion to communicate this truth based on the ministry, the life and legacy of Dr. John Chang, uh, the man who famously gave up his life to save his mother and a group of her Christian friends at the Taiwanese Christian Church in Irvine, who was meeting in Laguna Woods, literally across the street from, or up the street from my church. John was my family doctor for 20 years, and seeing the way he lived out his faith, you know, he asked the question, how many people, when the gunman opened fire, would have run toward the gunshots? How many of us would have gone under the table? I have to admit, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. What would my first reaction be? Being there with his mother, my first thought might have been, and I think that would have been a perfectly acceptable one, to say, I'm going to put myself over my mom. I'm going to protect her. But the greater good says, okay, well, that would protect her. I could take a bullet for her. But what about the other people in the room? And that had a profound impact on me. Are we willing to take a bullet to protect everyone in the, in the, the social hall there as opposed to just protecting our own families? And I think walking the talk says you're going to take that bullet, if you, if you will, for everyone. So toward that end, I want to give a shout out to everybody who works in Christian education right now. Maybe your church has a preschool or a uh, elementary school, maybe even runs high school. I want to give a big shout out to you because the National Center for Education Statistics, which is part of the U.S. Department of Education's Institute on Education Sciences, has basically laid down a challenge. And the challenge is, what are you, in Christian education, going to do about what's happening in public schools? Now, this statistic does not per se say, if it weren't, you know, if Christian schools don't step up, we're going to have a problem here in society. But it's a new study that shows us an opportunity that's as a result of COVID, we have the chance to really be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who are saying, you know what? I don't know where COVID came from. I don't know what my story is spiritually, but I do know this. My kids suffered emotional damage. They suffered academically during the pandemic, and I will do anything I can to help them gain back what was lost. Here's the study. National Center for Education Statistics released the study last week. And basically... They put together something called the School Pulse Panel. Now that we are two and a half years post-pandemic beginning, and we are, I think, it's safe to say, even though masks are going to be here for people, some folks are going to get vaccinated, some people are not. I was talking with a colleague the other day who, I had COVID, uh, what, a month and a half ago. She had COVID a couple of weeks ago, and we were discussing 
uh, you know, whether or not to get jabbed. And she said, you know, in retrospect, I got COVID early on, then 2020, went through that whole process, got over it. Uh, the vaccines came out. I got a vaccination, got the booster, whatever. And then I got COVID again. Not quite as bad as the first time, but it just made me wonder, why did I get the jab again if I thought, you know, I thought that doing this was going to mean I was okay. Statistically, by the way, uh, from what I've read, if you had COVID before the vaccine came out and you got the jab, you're more likely to get COVID than if you didn't have it all together. together. But nonetheless, schools got hit hard. You know how that is. If you're a teacher or an administrator, you know what it's like. Trying to do distance learning, trying to keep some semblance of normalcy, but also trying to run away from something that we were told was going to be deadly to kids and turned out not to be for kids. Yes, some kids did lose their life, but almost the overwhelming majority of kids who did wind up losing their lives because of COVID had a pre-existing condition like cancer or something like that. And of the 77 million children in the United States, the COVID deaths was in the hundreds, maybe the low thousands. Kids get COVID and then get over COVID pretty quickly in most cases. So this U.S. Department of Education study, the School Pulse Panel, is now going back and they're trying to take a look at how the pandemic impacted the schools, how it also then, you know, the responses, you know, the shutting down, the distance learning, wearing masks everywhere, the PPE, all the plastic stuff around desks, all those things that we were told we're supposed to help, but really didn't all that much. How did that impact kids? 87% of the public schools surveyed in this survey, there were about a thousand schools involved. 87% of the public schools reported that the pandemic has had a negative impact on students socially, socially, emotionally, and behaviorally. 87% said it impacted them socio-emotionally, and 83% say that it's had a negative impact on the student's behavior. 56% of schools reported increased student misconduct in the classroom, and 49% reported a rise in rowdiness outside the classroom. 48% reported an increase of acts of disrespect toward teachers and staff, and 42% the use of prohibited electronic devices in class. So what does this mean for us in the body of Christ? There are discipline problems. There are more kids that are facing expulsion. There are kids who've lost a year of academic study because this year has kind of been back to normal. What opportunity is there for us in the body of Christ for ministry? We'll talk about that next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're uh, taking a look at an opportunity here, I believe, for us in the body of Christ. If your church has a Christian school, listen up. If your church has been thinking about opening a Christian school, listen up. This new study conducted by the National Center for Education Statistics, which is part of the Department of Education's Institute on Education Sciences. They did a study called their School Pulse Panel. Back in May of this past year, they did a survey of 846 schools and found that 87% of public schools reported that the COVID-19 pandemic had a negative impact on their students' socio-emotional development for the 21-22 school year. 83% of public schools said that students' behavior development had been negatively impacted. 56% of schools reported increased student misconduct in the classroom. 49% 
a reported rise in rowdiness outside the classroom. 72% of public schools saw an increase in chronic absenteeism. That's in the schools on the whole. It was students with lower poverty rates in rural areas had a 73% and 71% increase in chronic absenteeism. What's the solution? I think the solution is Christian schools. I can think of two just right here in Southern California that saw their enrollment skyrocket over the past two years because first and foremost, they were open. They did what was needed to be done to comply with the state requirements. And someone posted a meme over the weekend. I remember they showed like Home Depot or some supermarket that said, remember when we were told that because of the coronavirus, if we, we could only go one way in one direction in an aisle, and if you wanted to go down the other direction, you had to go to the next aisle. That's to stop the spread. You know, and I get it. With the variants that are coming up right now, something tells me it's rather suspicious. The Roe versus Wade overturning hurt Democrats. The January 6th commission is not helping Democrats. So the only way you can motivate Democrats to go to the polls now is tell them there's a new variant and it's going to be deadly. What we know about the new COVID variant is, yes, it's highly contagious, but it's not nearly as deadly as the earlier ones. But all of this is leading to the fact that the Christian school that is accredited, that plays by the rules with the state, but stays firm to their Christian faith, stays open, uses the precautions, is going to flourish. And it's amazing how many parents who did not grow up in the church per se, but will say, you know what, you guys have a chapel every week? I think that's cool. There's a Bible class? I think that's cool too. So the good news about these bad report from the National Education Association and the National Education Policy Center is that it's an opportunity for us to be more evangelistic and to be good disciples with young people who are growing up in a world where Generation Z wants nothing to do with things of the kingdom. And that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider is coming up next. For those who remain, a good news story involving Bart Millard, Bart Millard of uh, Mercy Me, and one of his parents, but not his dad. And another story of reconciliation for the song I can only imagine. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show, or welcome back to this Good News Friday. You know, the Bottom Line Show is on for an hour and a half every weekday. Uh, Thursday is a little different because it's kind of a hybrid program where we carry uh, Bottom Line from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time and then the National Crawford Roundtable from 4 to 4.30. But on Fridays from 3 to 4.30 Pacific time, it's all good news. And we've got some great good news stories here in this final half hour to wrap things up, including a couple of media stars who have made headlines recently because they've taken a bold stance for the Lord in their area of expertise. Now, the first one, do you remember, was it 2018, this movie came out, the movie called I Can Only Imagine? The, the, you remember the song by the band Christian band Mercy Me? I can only imagine how many funerals has that song been played at? The song that we were initially told was a song that Bart had written for his dad. The first story I heard was that he wrote it for his dad and used to sing it to him in the hospital about, you know, his dad was dying and, you know, I can only imagine what heaven's going to be like. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm just I'm always honest with you. And if Bart were on here, too, I'd tell him the same thing. Um, I like the song. I thought it was very pretty. I wasn't really keen on Bart's vocal performance, that that's his producer's fault. 
I thought there were a couple of places where I think he could have it could have been a even more evocative. It's a very evocative song and it got to people and that's all that matters, right? As a matter of fact, they had a red carpet event for this movie. It was the week I was having open heart surgery. So uh, it's, I've kind of got a sentimental spot for me. Dennis Quaid, who was on the Bottom Line show not too long ago, uh, starred in this production. He played Bart's dad. Um, if you know the story, Bart uh, grew up in a rather abusive home. Dad was an alcoholic, was really tough on mom. And um, they basically had a situation where uh, dad was really at odds with the son. You know, dad was a football star in a small Texas town. And I think it's Texas. And um, um, Bart couldn't quite live up to it. He blew his knees out. He wound up becoming a singer, that type of stuff. Eventually, Bart's mother left. And so now it's just Bart and his dad at home. And they're not getting along at all. I mean, there's just, there is no love lost between those two, especially when Bart blows out his knees, can't play football anymore, starts singing, and then starts going to church with some friends, and all of a sudden, that's the end of it. Well, in the movie, uh, the Dennis Quaid character finally starts going to church to hear his son sing. He winds up hearing the gospel on the radio, and he becomes a Christian shortly before dying. Uh, Just natural causes, because he was really tough on his body. And the song I can only imagine was written, you know, right around the time of his dad's death. Now, there they had to take some liberties with that story only because uh, it didn't play well if it didn't. Like, for example, uh, Bart and his brother Steve uh, lived together with dad. But, you know, the movie's all about Bart and his dad. So, you know, that's <laughs> in essence what you get. But one of the tougher aspects of this movie is the fact that Bart's mother, Adele, leaves the family i mean there's one very powerful and poignant scene where bart is you know he he comes home and finds out that he's uh um he's basically mom's leaving him and it's just him and dad and that creates more tension in the home so you have to ask the question well how much of this was real how much because if it's real mom what the heck right i mean i understand that there's abuse here but at the same time it's like wouldn't you take your sons with you you know why leave them in the home with the abusive man well last week uh bart millard made an announcement on social media that his mom had in fact passed away uh he uh, uh as a matter of fact um uh he was announcing that Mercy and me were going to go back on the road. And he went on social media and said, by the way, I appreciate it. And I remember getting the, the I follow uh, Bart and his stuff on social media and their pages. And, and I saw that uh, Bart and his brother, Steve were by their mom's side in her final moments. He said, uh, my sweet mom meant to be with Jesus around five 30 this morning. Um, I'm thankful that my brother and I were with her even more thankful that she's now with so many that have been cheering her on from heaven. She's now a bigger part of my future than my past. I love you, mom. What a beautiful story. But it still doesn't quite fill in all the puzzle pieces, does it? There's still some gaps. I mean, you now that you've been thinking about it, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, and maybe your blood's boiling a little bit. Wait a minute. This kid is in high school or middle school, whenever it took place in terms of the leaving. Dad was such an ogre to mom, but mom basically just packs up one day and leaves this boy with his abusive father. Wow. Um, 
can you imagine what kind of hole there was in his life? When the movie came out, I think most people understood you got to get a movie told in maybe 90 to 100 minutes. There's got to be some parts of the story that don't wind up making it. And so Bart wrote a book about his experience. And the book went a little bit in deeper detail as to what's going on. It's interesting because um, he said, (laughs) even though the film is really close to what actually happened, the timeline moves away from the actual events. And so he explained that there definitely was some tension, not only between mom and dad and between Bart and his dad, but also between him and his mom. And the reason is, Arthur was so abusive and so negligent to Adele that Adele decided to basically move on. But she didn't, in the movie, she kind of packs up and leaves. I'm, I'm just going away. I can't, I can't be here anymore. I've got to go. In actual fact, Bart was in the third grade when this happened. And um, then she had, uh, there had been a separation. She had gone on to marry for the third time. And eventually, when she did move on for the third, marry for the third time, she opted to leave Bart and his brother with their biological father, Arthur. So rather than uh, Bart coming home from school one day and mom's packing up and leaving, apparently there was a separation. They moved on. She has the third husband and the husband says, no, we're going to, stay (laughs) we're going to stay together and you're going to go here so it's really interesting because bart to tell this story you would think it'd be so easy right every i can only imagine was like the most downloaded christian song in the history of downloading or something like that i mean it's so popular and it struck a chord with so many people with regard to what what's a common sentiment that anyone would have as i was watching my longtime friend Gary Robinson uh, end his struggle with cancer a couple of months ago. I was watching uh, while hearing about my dear friend Austin Hill coming up on seven years now, uh, dying very unexpectedly, watching my first wife and her battle with alcoholism ending last summer. I mean, there, there are so many different people that have impacted my life over the years, positively and negatively, that uh, <clears throat> have gone home to be with the Lord that, yeah, you know, you sit there and go, okay, well, there's a part of me, like a, one of my dear friends reached out to me while Gary was battling cancer, and, and she said, you know, on the one hand, I'm, I'm really sad because our buddy's, you know, dying and his wife's about to be a widow in her 50s. But then at the same time, she said, but I'm also kind of biblically jealous. I mean, he gets to go be with the Lord, and we're stuck here. And I thought, you know what? I, I'm right there with you. I am absolutely right there with you. So in Bart's case, the song resonated with people. The movie really resonated with people, especially people outside the church. Oh, Dennis Quaid has a new movie. Let's go watch it. Oh, it's father-son tension. Oh my, oh, well. And then they kind of reconcile at the end. Who cares if it's spiritual? What a great story of reconciliation. But what about Bart's mom? I mean, in the movie, she leaves and that's it. What kind of relationship did she have with her sons after she left? And what kind of relationship did, I mean, was there ever any reconciliation with, I mean, with Arthur? I mean, after all, he is the father of her two sons there. And once, you know, dad became a Christian again, we don't see in the movie whether or not mom had any kind of relationship with him. So 
How does it turn out? <laughs> well, we're going to get the story behind the story and why this is a doubly good news uh, story from Bart Millard and his mom, Adele, on her passing. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, and hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you could earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday story for this half hour focusing on Bart Millard, the lead singer of the group Mercy Me. If you saw the movie I Can Only Imagine, you know that I Can Only Imagine, arguably their biggest hit and one of the biggest, most popular songs in all of contemporary Christian music, if not all. I I still don't understand how the downloads and streams are calculated, but apparently I Can Only Imagine is the most downloaded Christian song in history. So the movie, just beautifully done. Dennis Quaid knocks it out of the park. I love seeing... Uh, it was a Michael Finley playing Bart. Uh, it's just a very, very nicely done movie. And of course, it's a Christian movie, so that means they had to write a part for Priscilla Shire, and <laughs> she did a great job too. Now, uh, Bart posted uh, last week that his mom is at home with the Lord, and it start, got people asking questions. Well, wait a minute. What happened to Bart's mom? She doesn't play a huge part in the movie, and basically the last we see of her is she's kind of sneaking out of town, leaving Bart with his dad. What really happened? Well, we do know that Bart wrote a book about his old experience that came out after the movie, and he kind of lays the timeline out. Adele had been married before, before she married Arthur. She and Arthur had two sons, and the marriage wasn't going well. She left Arthur and took up with another guy, and they got married after the divorce was final. And at that point, she decided that uh, Bart and his brother Stephen should go back and live with their biological father. So in about third grade, Bart and Stephen are living with alcoholic Jerry. Excuse me. I want to say Dennis Quaid. Jerry's a different part of this. Arthur is his name in the movie. And so they, um, you know, they, they wound up being with their dad for a good long time. And dad was on the road to destruction and just a real bear to live with. But then Bart becomes a Christian then Arthur becomes a Christian. He gives up the drinking. And eventually, I can only imagine, was written uh, right as he was uh, in the process of getting ready to enter heaven. Um, the song has been a smash for both Christian and secular charts alike. The movie did $17 million at the box office. It's opening weekend in 2018. Um, it did $83 million at the box office total. When Bart posted on social media last week that his mom had entered the presence of the Lord, then people started asking questions like, well, whatever happened to Adele after the, you know, the way she's described in the movie? And Bart gave an interview with the Christian Post. He said, you know, I know my mom was a very huge part of my life when 
you know, all through my adult years. When I was watching the movie, I was really kind of scared because I didn't realize first and foremost how much of a victim she really was and that she had to get out. He said, in all honesty, the first time I wrote the, the first draft of the script, and then, of course, the screenwriters came in and fleshed it out a little bit, he said, I realized it was really harsh concerning his mom because, you know, she had been in the abusive relationship. She leaves the relationship. She meets another guy and marries him after that divorce is final. But then she, when Bart was in the third grade, he and his brother Stephen go back to live with their abusive father. And he said, quite frankly, it felt a little abandoned. So, but then I realized, he said, I was writing that initially from a child's perspective and not from an adult. And so I went through and made some revisions to the script that made it more accurate. And yet I thought, you know, we have to tell this part of the story, but people are going to think my mom's crazy. They're going to think that she's the bad guy too, because, you know, she left. As a matter of fact, in a quote with the Christian Post part said, I was nervous. I thought this is going to kill my mom when she sees this. It was really hard to let go and actually let the story play out. So when it was time to screen the movie before they went to the big, you know, red carpets and stuff, Bart asked if he could get a copy of it. And he and his mom watched it alone, just the two of them. And he said, I could see the tears in her eyes. She could see the tears in my eyes. And he said, you know, she she really loved the movie. She said, I'm so heartbroken that I wasn't a bigger part of the movie. But that's what happened. Everything that you put up there about me happened. She said, I was scared for my life and I had to get away from your dad. But I'm so glad that we have each other now. So that is good news. Amazing. But you know what else is interesting too that didn't show up in the movie that I remember anyway? Is that after Bart became a Christian and after Arthur was led to faith as well, Adele actually was able to reconnect with him and they actually had what you might consider to be a decent friendship shortly before his death. As a matter of fact, Bart said, you know, she was there when he was being abusive and she saw that part of his life. I mean, she lived it more than any of us did. But then she knew what kind of man he became eventually and when he did enter the arms of his savior, she was there. Um, it's interesting because uh, uh, the nice idea that that Bart and his dad, you know, had that wonderful relationship that really drove him to the success he had with Mercy Me. It was only in later years that Bart was actually really able to forgive his mom and reconcile with her. And the movie played a huge part in that. That won't necessarily show up in the box score, as my friends in the baseball world would say. But it's so encouraging to know that the process of telling that story, getting those secrets out in the open and letting God bring healing and forgiveness. I'm just getting emotional thinking about it. That is truly good news. If there's someone in your world that you need to forgive or you need forgiveness from, um, I encourage you, make the effort and get the healing that you need. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com and you can have a look at it there and thank Tamara for putting all that up. As we continue, uh, here we are in the middle of July, which means uh, NFL preseason is underway. Uh, It seems like the NFL season never stops because they play the Super Bowl now in April or something like that. And No, I'm kidding. It's February. But uh, then they have the draft, the combines, all that stuff. And then we have the summer season. 
and then we get the uh, kickoff right around Labor Day. One young player who will not be playing in the NFL this year is doing so not because he got hurt, not because he got cut, not because he was holding out for more money. No, he actually has a higher calling and a greater reason. His name is Kerry Willis. He had been playing for the Indianapolis Colts. He was in the final season of his rookie contract with the Colts that he signed that paid him a pretty good amount of money. So 26 years of age, by the way. And this guy was a fourth-round draft pick. So it's not like he was first round, can't miss, et cetera, et cetera. This guy really had to scuffle for it. But basically, he announced his retirement from the NFL at the age of 26. And the reason he's doing so is to devote his life to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, here's the announcement that he made recently. He shared it on Instagram, of course. He said, it is with much prayer and deliberation that I have elected to officially retire from the National Football League as I endeavor to devote the remainder of my life to the further advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a young guy in the peak of his physical prime performance years is walking away from what could be millions of dollars in money and endorsements and influence to become a pastor. Why is he doing so? And is this really a good news story? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Real estate broker Brian Edgel here with a market update. First, the duplex in San Bernardino has sold for over asking price at $550,000. Also new on the market in South Corona is a beautiful 2,000 square foot, four bedroom, two bathroom, single story home with a beautifully remodeled kitchen and both bathrooms been remodeled as well. The backyard boasts a large spa with a waterfall and a grotto. There's also a built-in outdoor kitchen. Gorgeous home. This one is listed for $879,900. I am a real estate broker with a degree in law, and for the past 20 years, I've been successfully selling homes in your area for just 2.9% total commission, which includes commission for both the buyer and the seller. If you're thinking of selling, call me today, 800-969-3992. That's 800-969-3992. Or you can go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. If you are a fan of the NFL, you got one up on me. I will be, be perfectly honest with you. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, I will watch the Super Bowl. I will watch college football as my grandkids get older. I will be at high school football games if they are involved in them. And for my kids, when they were growing up, their involvement in high school football meant one of them was always the drum major and they went to a lot of high school football games to do halftime shows. Okay. But the National Football League is an interesting place because a lot of guys go into the NFL and they wind up becoming pastors, which is cool. But a lot of guys go to the NFL and they just get banged up and then they get spit out. And I, I've seen, you know, we've seen the head injuries and the knee injuries and not everybody who plays professional football here in the U.S. or abroad uh, has great success stories. Well, uh, I believe it's Kerry Willis or Kari Willis. Um, 
is a starting safety, or I should say was, with the Indianapolis Colts. He was a fourth-round pick in the 2019 NFL Draft and was in the fourth and final season of a rookie contract he signed. He made the club. Good for him. But he announced that prior to re- uh, rather than reporting to training camp for this summer, he announced on Instagram, quote, with much prayer and deliberation, I have elected to officially retire from the NFL as I endeavor to devote the remainder of my life to the further advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank all of my family, friends, and those who have supported me on this journey thus far, and I look forward to your continued support throughout this next phase of my life. I am both humbled and excited to pursue the holy call that God has for my life, which brings me much joy and purpose. Now, it's very interesting to him because faith has been kind of a rocky road for this guy. He is someone who made, after being a fourth round draft pick, he actually made the Colts starting roster and he became the starting strong safety for the Colts in the middle of his rookie season. He started 33 out of the 39 games that were uh, played during those three seasons. He had 219 career tackles and four interceptions. What's interesting about this is um, to see that this guy said, I'm ready to go at age 26. Do you remember back in the old days, as it were, when young men would enter professional sports knowing that by the time they hit about age 30, it was pretty much over? The idea that they would still have a sports career into their mid-30s and even into their 40s was a little crazy. But then again, the idea that 80-year-old rock stars would be performing. (laughs) Man, oh man, who'd have thunk, right? Rolling Stones, my goodness. It's interesting because in his retirement announcement, Willis thanked the Colts for giving him a chance to pursue his earthly dream. He said, quote, I've built lifelong relationships with numerous teammates, coaches, and support staff that have impacted me greatly. The lessons I've learned in this phase of my life will be valuable for my next chapter. Now, this may have something to do, this call into ministry, may have something to do with his boss for the past three seasons. And that would be Frank Reich, who's the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts and a very, very strong Christian. He said, you know, this young man's character, leadership, and professionalism will be missed in our locker room, as will his play on Sundays. I admire and respect his decision to transition into the next stage of his life and ministry, and my prayers will always be with him. Carrie Willis, his faith has always been important to him. At a press conference in 2018, he said, uh, he was at Michigan State, He said, my faith to me is a personal journey. Along this road of faith, I've had a lot of ups and downs, and truthfully, those downs have been tough. But it's something I stick to. I notice that I'll become better and better at whatever I'm doing. Faith is important to me, believing in something you can't see, especially in this dark world, something you can't always see with your eyes, and especially you may not want to believe or you not want to do the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing is the hard thing. But I feel like my faith is something that kind of keeps me grounded, and it keeps me honed in on who I am. Uh, He is the father of twin sons. He basically got a gut check on that when his twin sons were hospitalized in the neonatal intensive care unit during his entire rookie season. And he said it was during that time that his family and the church community supported him so much that now he's going to walk away. Now he's at the end of his rookie contract, by the way. Let's talk about the money, shall we? 
he uh, earned about $3 million over the first three years. And his base salary was supposed to be this year. His pay would go from an average of about a million dollars a year to $2.5 million. He was also a season away from free agency. He could have made the 2.54 and then stayed for one more year and then signed a big, fat check. But let's remember that for Kari Willis, maybe, just maybe, the $3 million he's made over the past three years is a lot of money. Maybe he invested it wisely. Maybe he's a good steward of the resources that God has for him. Maybe that's the reason why now is the time. We don't know what's between him and God, but I commend this young man (coughs) for doing the right thing, I believe, because God told him now's the time and he's going. I don't think he's going to have any regrets, and I imagine that he will have a lengthy career successfully preaching and proclaiming the gospel to the lost. He mentioned when he was younger, a few years ago when he played at Michigan State, that he wants to be a light in a darkening world. And what better way to be able to handle that. I wonder if he knows Cedric Brown, former defensive back, who's now the pastor of Commitment Church in New Jersey. I'll have to see if we can put these two guys together and see how it works. You see, brothers and sisters, it's so refreshing to see someone who understands the eternal perspective. May we not get so hung up on the stuff around us, the political parties, or who's got how much money, or who's got nicer stuff, or who's got a bigger house, but rather faith in Christ and going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every tribe and nation so that some might hear that good news and respond to it. That's the bottom line.